Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where it's an April blizzard here anyway. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. It was 82 degrees today. That is very different from where I am at the moment. <laughs> Maybe spring will, you know, spring one of these days for us. We'll see. Um, anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Ready Player One, because you were super excited about it, and I yes. read the book multiple times, so I thought we could at least talk about it, because I, I kind of want to know about the adaptation and some of that stuff, um, and I know you just wanted to talk about it, so it's a good topic yeah, for the Yeah, I just week. love it. Yeah, um, and before we get into it, be, because we kind of had this conversation on, like, in our Slack channel and on Twitter and a little bit on Reddit, um, the book itself is, like, it's it's pretentious navel-gazing, and I think that's kind yeah. of what we landed on. Like, 100%, no question, it's just, it's totally aimed at our demographic, which is why we latched onto it, but, like, you and I know it's not, like, a good book by any objective measure. It's just, no. it's total and utter fluff, and... It, it just latched on, we latched on because it's aimed at our demographic. And I would even say that it's more so aimed at you than me, right. just because like, we're not that far apart in age, but I mean, it's definitely more for like seventies and eighties kids. And I mean, I was born in the eighties, but I'm a, I'm a nineties kid. Yeah. And I mean, I was born in the early eighties. So a lot of the stuff in, uh, in ready player one is right at the, my, per, some of it is right at my periphery. And a lot of it is where, you know, this is stuff that I grew up with where even the Atari stuff that was in the book really landed with me because adventure was my favorite game growing up. I used to spend hours and hours playing Robotron and Joust. And so those are major parts of it. Blade Runner, just all of the stuff that was in there, that really was a major part of my childhood. So I don't think it's a good book. I mean, in terms of of good, if this is the kind of thing that's going to last through the ages, no, not at all. But it's one of my favorite books to read because it is fun. That more than any other book that I can really name, whenever I start this book, I just get happy that that i mean that that's the way that this book makes me makes me feel so whenever i'm uh whenever i i need something like that and i was been looking forward to this movie and i see so many so much hate out there for it but i can't help but think that these are the but that these are the kind of people who are so critical of the geek community that uh it's hard for them to find joy in this stuff and that's what the book is the book is just pure and utter unadulterated joy about this stuff which makes it navel gazing i mean it is very self-aware of what it is i think and that's why i find it fun because it doesn't try to be anything other than exactly what it is well and like i see both sides of it because i'm close enough to the target demographic that like i understand all of it because like i i know of a lot of those things but at the same time I've never played an Atari. Like, I've literally never played an Atari game. Well, not a game. That, oh. I played a lot of Atari games, but I've never played, like, an Atari. Like, I never had one. It was before my time. And right. it's just, like, a lot of the, like, late 70s, and but the mostly 80s stuff that's, you know, referenced in the book just were things that I eventually watched when I was older, but I didn't grow up with them in the same way that you did. So right. um, it's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I, I want to get to the movie part. So... I'm wondering how true to the book was it? And I already listened to a few spoiler casts because, you know, that kind of thing doesn't bug me. Yeah. So it sounds like the adaptation was good. And I heard yes. that they made a lot of great adjustments and changes. Um, 
one of the things I'm really curious about is like how they handled that extra life because I felt like that was somewhere oh, yeah. where they could really just do whatever they wanted to. But yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about like the adaptation and how it went from movie to screen or book to screen. I, I was really going in and like, like I, I may have said it on here before. I'm not sure, but my lowest common denominator, like the thing that as long as it's better than Suicide Squad, it's uh, it's at least succeeding on some level. And uh, so I went in with, with only moderate expectations for it. I mean, honestly, I wasn't it, the the previews didn't really do anything for me, and so like like I was excited about it, but I wasn't just overwhelmed with with excitement. So I was going in hoping for a tonal adaptation that they would get the get the feeling of Ready Player One as opposed to trying to do literal book to screen kind of adaptations and uh that's really what it was they changed so many things about this that if you're going in looking for a literal adaptation of this if you're looking to see them fighting playing joust against an arch lich if you're looking for them to go through dungeons and dragons modules and re like recreate war games that kind of thing is not going to happen because they changed all of the ways, like all of the gates and keys and everything like that, they've completely changed it. So like even the first gate, like you get into the movie 10 minutes in, you find out that the the way that they get the first key, it's already been found and opened and it's a giant race. That it's like a, a twisted metal meets Mario Kart race uh trying to get there and nobody has ever been able to beat it yet. And uh, you have like King Kong and dinosaurs attacking things like the Jurassic Park uh, T-Rex is there and King Kong is in it and just stuff like that. The reason I think this works so much is because the references in the book will not translate to a mainstream audience on screen that just like you said, you're just a little bit aware, like you're just a little bit out of the target demographic that think there was a 14 year old girl in front of me who came, uh, I went alone because Jennifer was sick and I started talking to the people around me uh, before the movie started. And there was a 14 year old girl who her dad brought her because she was so excited because there was a video game movie. That's all they knew about it. And if it had been full of joust and Robotron and Rush lyrics and Blade Runner and war games, she wouldn't have been able to fully enjoy it. But the adaptations that they did and the references that they put in there were way more acceptable for mainstream audiences, stuff that they probably would have heard of and seen and were aware of, but were every bit as major cultural touchstones as any of the stuff in the book. Like there's there's an entire section on The Shining where they go into the Kubrick film and just stuff like that that is fantastic in terms of tonal adaptation but it is not even mentioned in the book okay cool that's what i was hoping for that's kind of what i thought they were gonna do they would just keep like the narrative skeleton and then hang all new sorts of like basically big set pieces on it um that's exactly what they did in terms of the extra life i didn't know how they were going to do the extra life either because it was so important it was so major part such a major part of the of the book i was like they're not going to just let him play pac-man like there's no no, that's how it happens in the book is like he, he when he's down 
like he's just in a bad mood and he's wandering he like finds a pac-man machine in like a a pizza joint that's in mm-hmm. one of the whatever it doesn't matter he's st- he kind of finds it and he's just playing for a while absentmindedly and when he gets to the kill screen he gets an extra life and i was like there's no way they're gonna do that for the movie no not at all uh what it was was there is a really cool character called the curator they've changed like his grail diary and all the research he's done toward the uh, finding the easter egg and they've put a lot of the the I don't it's the, what was it called Anorax Almanac all the stuff that the Halliday the Halliday left for the people to uh, to research yeah they he left it as basically a museum inside the Oasis this time oh, where cool. you can walk in and watch any scenes from his uh, like it basic he basically exported his memories into the computer that's a lot uh, more visually can, interesting too. It really is. And so there's a curator robot on there. And at one point, um, Wade goes and he's talking to him and he's like, this is the only time that that Kira is mentioned in the entire, you know, everything that he left. All this only time in the almanac that he did that. And the the curator's like, it can't be. And Wade said, I'll bet you every bit of money on my character or something like that. And the uh the curator took it, looked through, and it was the only thing. And he was like, oh, you won. And he's like, so what do I win? And he flipped a quarter at him. And uh, that was what he won for winning a bet with the uh, with the curator of the Halliday Museum. The quarter the being Oasis. the extra life. The, yeah, the quarter okay. being the extra life. So it was still a quarter that he put in his pocket, but he won it on a bet rather than having to beat Pac-Man. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's totally a perfect works. score. So I have to ask, like, so, what were your favorite pop culture appearances in the movie? Okay, I've seen so many people complain that Tracer was in it, but I cannot help because of being an Overwatch player that whenever there's... And she didn't do anything. I don't think she ever talked or do did anything at all. But but there was just occasionally Tracer in the background doing something, and it made me giggle every single time because I'm like, <laughs> I love Tracer. And just it was that, like, because they it included references to current games, and all it was was they're going through the main part of the Oasis, uh, like the you're walking along a walkway, and there's all of the different uh, games and areas that you can go to and there's an overwatch one and it just happens to be that tracer is outside doing stuff zipping around and then later on in the movie like she shows up just in different places in the oasis i always like seeing that and the fact that they replaced the uh, supatoman uh, leopardon with the iron giant basically oh, was okay. awesome that's kind of what i figured that- from the trailers well, H H is actually making the Iron Giant. It's actually really cool. They they made H this fantastic PvPer and a fantastic character, but they changed around the way that everything was uh, organized, I guess, because there's basically a raid planet called Planet Doom or something like that, where they go after artifacts, and it, it's also PvP. Everybody can die, and uh, H is really fantastic at that. And then uh, they're also really good at building things and repairing stuff. So uh, they're built. H is building a, a an Iron Giant, and uh, in the end, that's the kind of thing that's fighting, like at the during the big battle at the end, they don't do the giant uh, robot stuff, uh, but they have Iron Giant, and they actually have uh, Daito, which is strange. Uh, Daito does the uh, turns into a Gundam at the end of it. He oh, uses okay. I can see that. Uh, he has a he has a thing where Gundam fights Mechagodzilla, and it was really awesome on that because the Mechagodzilla that they did was so awesome that I want a Mechagodzilla movie now because it was. 
I don't even know how to describe it. Like I did, I wasn't, I love Godzilla. I love monster movies and my wife doesn't understand why I love monster movies. It's almost like uh, the Fast and the Furious movies. It's like, who are you? Why do you, why do you like this? But I love giant monster movies. I cannot wait to see the Rampage movie because it looks so dumb. Uh, the one with the rock in it, you know, just that kind yeah. of, that's why I love Pacific Rim. Just, I love big, dumb stuff like that. And it, it it's, I have no idea why. So when I saw Mecha Godzilla in there, he looked awesome. They did such a good job on that fighting the Iron Giant and this Gundam coming in. And I thought it was just magnificent them do it the way that they tied all of that stuff together. And then one of my favorite my favorite reference in the entire in the entire book is at the very end when he needs to fly that Artemis has these magical black Chuck Taylors that uh, Converse All-Stars and, and these Chucks and I, I love Chucks I have like eight pairs of different colors of Chucks right now and I've had to get rid of some and they've just destroyed like I love Chucks and so I, I put on my black Chucks to be able to go w- watch Ready Player One I was so excited like I didn't obviously I'm not the kind of person who dresses up for movies anymore but whenever I'm going to see Ready Player well, of course, I'm going to wear my black chucks, and they completely cut it. They uh, that was a part that they ended up cutting where uh, during the final gate and the the big war that they the cataclysm only killed everybody in the, on the planet instead of destroying everything in the sector. So the the castle was still there. They didn't have to fly or do anything. So there was no need for the uh, magical artifact chucks that made me really sad. I uh, I was really sad about that. What I don't know what a Madballs mummy is. Okay, nobody does, and this is why I'm why I'm really happy about it. This is this is my favorite one in the movie, the uh, the favorite reference because nobody probably remembers what Madballs are. My one of my favorite toys as a kid was Madballs. And uh, you may see them, uh, sometimes they're called crazy balls, sometimes they're called monster balls, but uh, if you look them up uh, as mad balls and you Google mad balls mummy, there is, it's a, it's a small rubber ball that is about the size, a little bit bigger than a baseball, uh, and it's, it's, I don't even want to say it's a squeak toy, but it's kind of like that, like in the 80s, uh, like, like, a, like a dog toy. I mean, honestly, it's like a little rubber plastic ball that you could bend and throw, and it's, they're in the shape of monster heads. And I had so many of these, and I loved these things because I could like just play with these monster heads. And there were figures that you had that you could, that were not like those, but they had bodies and like you could shoot their heads off at things. And it was just super cool. Like these monsters that did this, uh, these mad balls. And so the, the movie uses one of these and it's a very small reference and it's a very small part of the movie or a very small part of the, uh, the scenery, I guess, very small reference where when they're destroying Mechagodzilla and they're getting Sorrento and like blowing up where he is inside that uh, inside the cockpit, Artemis throws in a bomb in the Mecha, into Mechagodzilla's cockpit, and it's the Madballs mummy, which was one of my favorite toys as a kid. And I cheered. Okay, I'm in the theater alone. First of all, on a Thursday night, being the nerdy white guy who comes into a theater. Uh, about a video game movie. And I'm the guy who, when I see this mad ball, like I was like, yes, that is awesome. And I'm alone. 
and nobody else in the in the theater knew anything about it. it made a sound at it and so i'm like nobody remembers these but me but it was one of my favorite things and the fact that they included that spielberg included this uh this reference in the movie just made me it, it really did make me happy because it was uh it was pure nostalgia that most people and a lot of people probably listening to this will have no idea what it is that's okay. As long as you liked it, that's the main thing. Yeah, it um, made me so happy. Where that's exactly why I wanted to see this movie. That feeling of, oh my god, I loved that, and getting to see it used as something like that was just—it was just cool. It was just fun. Well, and you said you saw it in 3D, also, right? Yes, I usually do Movie Pass these days. We uh, we have a Movie Pass membership so that we can go see some movies uh, every month, and it'd be much cheaper. And you can't see 3D uh, with Movie Pass, so. There was an Adam ticket, A-T-O-M. I love this app way better than Fandango. And they had a thing where if you invited three people, they didn't have to buy it. But just so long as you sent the invite to three people, that you got a $5 ticket, no matter what, even for 3D. So I bought a $5 ticket for the 3D showing, and it was absolutely the right choice for me to make. Like, I don't like 3D. I don't like seeing 3D movies. Like I, that's why Movie Pass works so well for us. But I figured for a virtual a movie that takes place in virtual reality, 3D was the way to go with it, and it absolutely was. the The visuals were really, really fantastic, and it didn't look like the uh, 3D in post that you were talking about before, where everything's kind of like cardboard cutouts without any depth and. Uh, it just looks funny. This one looked really nice in 3D because of the way it was all CGI. Cool. That's good. What else? So I know you have a bunch of other just kind of like scattered thoughts about the movie. Do you want to run through them really quick? Yeah, I'll run through them. So one thing that Spielberg added to this movie that uh, that I thought was great that had no place in the book, but it was a wonderful ad- adaptive piece, was that in order to keep the rating down, like this is a very violent movie. I mean, there's a lo- video game violence is violence. And uh, there's a lot of people like cutting people's arms off and things like that because it's a game. And instead, they they worked it into the movie that whenever someone is hurt, that instead of blood being spurting out, that their inventory, like the their money spurts out of them like blood. <laughs> and uh, other people That's can collect cool. the money when they hurt them. And it's hilarious. First of all, it's a fantastic visual. And it's a way to keep the movie honestly kid friendly while still being able to be violent and make it humorous at the same time where it's not necessarily even violent because they have a couple of really good sight gags with it as well. So, I mean, it's a way to show that they're doing stuff and how poor characters can get money by like following up on people as they're dying and grabbing their money and running away like scavengers that would not have worked at all in the book because but because they could talk about going and grinding on kobolds but in the movie it was a great choice to be able to uh to make something on the screen just work better honestly it was not a perfect movie by any means though i mean the characterization and relationships were really rushed there were there was just not time to be able to flesh out the characters and relationships like they needed to because there are so many points in the story that you have to hit for any of it to make sense so they kind of just uh, did the perfunctory okay we're meeting okay we're falling in love we're together we're friends and just kind of rushed through a lot of that and the only part and and I was fine with it. I mean, there it's a 
it's a Spielberg movie. It's it's these two people falling in love on the internet. It's it's you know what's going on, but the fact that the movie and book are so uh, themed around internet freedom and like freedom of information and data and access that uh, they didn't really get to go in on the idea of this huge corporation getting the real world imp- uh, implications and indenturement. That they were that they were talking about in the books. So like the huge company who is the bad guy. For those of you who haven't listened or read the book or uh, or seen the movie, the main company, uh, the main bad guy is a company who wants to control the Oasis, the, basically the internet, and put ads all over it and start charging a, a fee, a monthly fee for access. Whereas it's totally free for people to access uh, as it is. And so the the problem is that they are this. Multinational conglomerate. They and it once people get in debt, they basically put them under in indentured servitude uh, and basically remove their freedom for the rest of their life. But that all happens in the background, so it feels really trivialized. That I mean, in the book, they're fighting to actually keep people from losing their lives and being imprisoned by a corporation, and well, and this will only make it worse. But it was basically all about you know charging for the internet. Like these people uh, didn't want to pay for a video game is kind of what it felt like in the movie, and it kind of took away that that legitimacy of the of the fight that they were putting on. I mean, it's still a Spielberg movie. It feels like a Spielberg movie, but at the same time, he's trying new things, which I really appreciate. So I I did like that part. But they did cut my favorite part of the movie, though, and I'm totally biased about it. I, I talked to Jennifer and uh, my, one of my friends uh, yesterday about it. I was like, I know I'm completely biased because Wade, the main character, was overweight at the beginning of the movie and then later on in or at the beginning of the book and then later on in the book he got he would basically became a shut-in and got so fat that he had to lock himself all, uh, away from the internet and basically put a required amount of exercise to get in shape before he was allowed to get on the internet and um it was uh I'm biased on that because of uh, because of my history and losing weight and being the sedentary guy uh, and then getting into uh, to fitness and exercise before I would play any video games and stuff like that. So I expected a montage about that in the movie, but that didn't happen um, I, because I liked it. I thought it was commentary, good commentary in the book that you know some of us may spend too much time sitting down and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but not everything can make it over from the book. No, and it can't. And that was one of the things, like, I knew it was going to get cut. Like, that was one of the, the most unimportant aspects of the of the story and characterization. But it was one of those, like, I used to be really fat, and I wanted to see this fat guy save the world. That kind of thing. Sorrento, the main bad guy, was played by the same guy who played Orson Krennic in uh, uh, Rogue One. And he's just Krennic. Like, he's still despicable, and he, he's awful, and you hate watching him. But the entire time, I was like, yep. I knew I, I th- He felt really familiar, and I couldn't really place why. And then I saw later on that it was Krennic, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yep, he felt just like Krennic in Rogue One. Yep. Probably my last thing was just that they took a... Huh, and this is, this is my nerdy nitpick on it, that uh, 
they took a lot of liberties with the di- the differences between virtual reality and augmented reality where it had to be done because it was a film like they had during the big fight scenes where everyone was charging at the at Anorak's castle and trying to fight for the uh, for their for their freedom like they had people on the streets in their VR helmets running down the street just like their characters were and it's like that's not what virtual reality is like that's ar they that's not what they were doing and uh but because it's a movie you know seeing people charge down the street in order to toward this uh this conglomerate's offices makes for a much better visual than some people sitting around on the sidewalk punching at the air trying to move around their character and being really intense like that's not gonna work in the movie so it was just like because i was watching i'm like they wouldn't be running like that if they were really doing this and uh like just seeing little weird things like that that's funny but you liked it overall right oh i did i really liked it i'm gonna see it again like i said jennifer was sick when i went to see it so i went and saw it alone and she wants to see it so i'm gonna get to see it again soon ish whenever i can but i did i really liked it and it's just like the book it's not great cinema it's not something that is going to be fantastic and long lasting but i think it's going to be about like scott pilgrim or one of those that we were talking about last time where i'm gonna buy this on dvd and when i want something that is just fun silly and feel good i'm gonna throw it on just have it playing in the background Kind of like Iron Man 2 for some reason I do that with. It's like, yep, it's there. I'll, It's going. Where I just, I like it. Cool. Good. I, no, I need to see it at some point. Probably won't be in theaters just because that's hard, but I'll, right. I'll get around to it because like, I definitely want to see this movie when it comes out. Um, cool. But no, I'm glad that you liked it. That bodes mm. well for what I will think of it when I get around yeah, to it. I, I really did. Like, go in not expecting. I mean, you, you like the book, so... Usually I tell people whenever they're asking about if they've read the book, I tell them, you know, to temper their expectations because it's not fantastic if you're not the certain demographic for it. But for you, I think you'll have fun with it. Probably. Yeah. Okay, cool. Before we do Weekly Geekery, let's talk about the network just for a minute. Um, Before I talk about all the shows, which obviously we love, but um, I want to say uh, Capsule J just reached out. He's one of our awesome mods on Reddit, and he's very active on Twitter and everywhere else for the network. Um, He is doing that anime poll. So he said that by the time this episode comes out, he's going to have that like group watch anime poll stickied at the top of the subreddit. So if you guys want to weigh in on what shows you are interested in like watching as a group for the season... Go do that right now. Um, he said that the poll's opening, so tonight, um, which when you guys are listening to it, will be in the past. So it'll be there by the time you're <laughs> listening. Um, and then the results will be announced next Tuesday. And then he'll be having like a weekly discussion thread to talk about the most recent episodes of whatever wins first and second place. So get out there and let him know what you're interested in. I, I think it's awesome when our community is doing stuff like this. Um, yeah, and then, I love it. Obviously, the other podcasts on the network, Geekitude with Ray and Joe is always fantastic. Uh, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. This week, they did their favorite Doctor Who episodes and kind of got in the weeds on it, which was really fun. Um, the Comic Box this week, Rob did lots of comic news, which was kind of cool to catch up on. And then he started his MCU rewatch. So if you guys are doing that, I'm kind of thinking about doing that. Um, it's really good to just kind of hear about everything again leading up to Infinity War. And then he's going to do a bunch of episodes leading up to Infinity War also. So that should be cool. With that, though, it's time for a 
Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What do you have this week? Um, well, on the MCU stuff, uh, I we bought Thor Ragnarok this week, and I would not really cared much about going back and watching it. Like, it's not even that I dislike, because I really loved this movie in the theater. But I was just like, yeah, I've seen it. I'll watch it at some point. And Jennifer had really been wanting to see it again. So we went and bought it on Blu-ray. Which I, I have something to say about that as well. But we went and bought it on Blu-ray. We brought it home. And this movie is so much fun. I'd forgotten how much fun Thor Ragnarok is. That it is it is great. I cannot wait. I want to see all the special features now, which is why we bought the Blu-ray. And uh, we're, I'm really excited on how great that is. That it bodes really well for what's coming uh, for Infinity War for that one. Um, I was also, we decided to get Blu-ray instead of digital because I did some research on it. Like I, when I bought the Pacific Rim Blu-ray and looked, I was like, this is way prettier than any of the HD stuff I've been streaming. That's crazy. And I went and just did some research on the differences in the resolution of streaming HD video versus Blu-ray HD. I didn't realize that even though they have the same resolution, that the streaming services have to compress them so much and lower the bit rate and that ruins the color. And just so much of the sharpness is gone because of the... Uh, because of it not being on Blu-ray that they have to stream it. So I was like, I'm going to start probably getting more Blu-rays than buying digital just because of stuff like that, that I, I didn't even realize that it was that much of a difference until, cause I'd very rarely watch Blu-rays, but it was, it was a crazy difference. Like, have you noticed that whenever you're streaming versus if you actually have any yeah, uh, no, physical I, stuff? Of course. I mean, I, I did video encoding professionally as uh, part of my job okay. for years. Like I, I get it. That's fair because for me, not being really in that, I'm like, ah, eh, it's 1080p, it's fine. And then I finally looked into it. I'm like, holy cow, there's a big difference. And uh, so yeah, I, I was really, really st- astonished by that. And uh, cool. Well, I started... you said like you finished a bunch of other stuff this week too, right? I did. I finished the Collapsing Empire. It is so good, so so good. I need more of it. I need it now, and he's probably not going to write it for a bit. So I'm really excited for the second one. You are absolutely right on recommending that one, and the the audio book is just great. Um, did you listen to it or did you read it? Uh, I did a little of both. Okay, it's so so you know how good it is. Yeah, it was good. I restarted. I started lock in after that, which is still awesome. Just have to listen to it, uh, but it's still really good. So those of you who heard us last week talking about it, it is still awesome. You need to listen to it as well uh, by John Scalzi. We finished Jessica Jones season one last night, and so we're looking right now. We're trying to decide whether we want to watch the Defenders or if we want to move directly into Jessica Jones season two because we haven't seen the Defenders yet. So we figure that there's at least a little bit of character stuff that will go on in there and since it's only eight episodes we may just watch it uh but we haven't fully decided on that one yet there's not you don't you don't need to watch it for jessica jones there's like zero character development at all really yeah what about luke no not really not really there's i mean most of the character stuff in it is either uh daredevil or danny rand so it's very easy to skip the defenders at this point uh, that makes me so sad. I know. It makes me sad because I was looking forward to it and it turned out to not be good is why it makes me sad. But that's something we're going to be getting into soon. I cannot wait to get into season two of Jessica Jones. Um, the first season was still fantastic, but because we knew where it was going, it uh, 
it took a little bit away from it because there's so many twists and things that you don't expect the first time through, but uh, it still gave us this really weird tension uh, as we watched it that made us just really creeped out and scared and tense. So it was uh, it's great, and to as a palate cleanser, Jennifer found the show while I was watching Ready Player One. Discovered the show Crazy Ex Girlfriend. You will hate this void. Yeah, do I not know I watch it. No, I just, know I've just heard about take, it. Okay, because. I love it that Jennifer and I, this is exactly the kind of dumb TV that we love. And she said that she had heard a lot of people talking about it who didn't necessarily like the kind of shows that we thought that it was. So when they started talking about this one, she decided to watch it while I was gone. And then I started up from where she was. And it's like this, it feels like the good place, except it's like an hour long musical episode and it's weird it seems if honestly and this is gonna sound like a really strange analogy it feels like a mix between drop dead diva and the good place yep and that's it i mean that's it's 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 great it's it's fun and apparently in the later seasons and like this woman is nuts i mean the main character is is unhinged and makes really bad life decisions and apparently in the later seasons of it they actually start to deal with real mental health issues uh because this woman is a like she is she is crazy and that as and they talk a lot even beginning that like that's a catch-all term for a lot of different things that it shouldn't be but they deal with real mental health stuff later on which i'm excited to see them touch on that on i think it's a cw show so it's really cool i i like it you will hate it but it is i'm glad to have found something that is exactly within that uh that tonal range of tv that i like that's not quite a sitcom and you know speaking of finishing i did finish my half marathon taper i completed the star wars uh dark side virtual half marathon i ran uh, 13 and a quarter miles this weekend so now it is my taper down to the races in a couple of weeks so i am uh, taking it easy i have not injured myself yet and just getting ready to do it so i'm i'm really proud of myself because i I realized that I went and did it on Saturday because it was the last day of March. I ran more in March of this year than I did all of 2017. And then I have ran so, um, and I've run already this entire year more than I've run in the last two years combined. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's like, I'm, I'm really happy about myself right now. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly proud of myself and i'm humble bragging on my podcast because i'm so proud of myself well good job i'm really excited to hear about how the races themselves go that'll be really cool i think it's gonna be awesome and uh rose is doing it as well capsule j's wife uh, rose 262 is doing it so uh she's gonna be at the uh, star wars half marathon running it so she'll destroy me (laughs) okay in terms of time (laughs) that's fair um i did i did a bunch this week a lot of it I don't know. I'll just dive in. Um, so I played more Fortnite. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I did have one really interesting second place pacifist finish. So like I did an entire and I was just playing around. I was just goofing around. I was like, I'm going to try and see how far I can get if I don't pick up any building materials and don't pick up any weapons for an entire round. And I got hmm. second place and I almost yep. won. I got really close to winning. <laughs> um, how do you win? 
if well, you don't I, do I weapons. I got the like, circle so small that there wasn't really anywhere to hide except for like one or two places. And the guy had built a giant tower straight up. So I ran out and I tried to destroy the tower out from under him so he would fall and take falling damage. And oh, I was like, I was like wow. one or two pickaxe swings away from accomplishing that before he figured it out and like escaped without getting injured. Oh, um, man. And then I died instantly. But anyway, that was really fun as like a self-imposed challenge this week. Um, I also finished Altered Carbon. And my thoughts are kind of what they were last week. Like, I still think it has way more sex and violence than it actually needs to make the point that they were trying to make with the setting. Like, I get your argument, but I still think they went so far beyond what they needed to do. And it it just felt like, oh, I'm on Netflix. Like, how much can I get away with type of thing, which is super annoying. Um, I can see that. The the one thing that I really liked was there's an episode, it's like episode seven or eight, I don't know, um, but because of a plot conceit, there's basically a flashback episode, and yes. it goes back to Takeshi when he's in his original sleeve, so again, Ultra Carbon, they can like put their mind in different bodies, and like just because a body dies doesn't mean the person dies, so the whole uh, series, he's in, like, the main character is just like a white guy, he's like a tall, generic, like, fit white guy, and he goes back to his original sleeve which is um like an asian character and that asian actor is so much better as takeshi than the main character of this entire season ever was and it ruined the rest of the season for me because i hated going back to the white actor after that it really yeah i was just like wow he is just not nearly as good as the asian actor so i wish that they had been reversed I think <laughs> um, that wouldn't have worked for the well. That's you know, impossible. I know yeah, for the, the plot reasons, but still, that's and I, uh, I don't know. That, I've seen that's a lot of people complaining about it. Where I've seen a lot of people complaining about it because there's a white dude playing a Japanese guy, and they couldn't have done it any differently than that because of the story that's being told. So I'm really glad that they actually brought in the, the Takashi from the, from the past and had the actor continually play him throughout and gave that full episode of it because you're right. He's fantastic. And I'm really hoping that we get a lot more in the next season, but I actually really liked the, uh, the guy who played him uh, in the present with the, the, the big white dude, because he was so much like the audiobook narrator which was why it was almost identical to the idea of, and the voice of the the narrator that that was in there that it just felt exactly right for me that uh, it hit the it hit exactly that tonal thing that I wanted so no matter what it sounded that like the actor or the actor sounded exactly like I needed him to for my head and I was like oh yeah I'm all in like I just bought in immediately because of that I totally disagree I think they could have easily had an Asian actor with like a different sleeve than his original one it would have been totally fine like that's true the guy they got as the main character was so generic and like bland in comparison that it, it once I saw a different take on the same character of Takeshi to go back to the main character um, take for the whole season, I was just disappointed. So that's the only thing that I was kind of like, uh. but I mean, overall, I really liked it. I would definitely watch another season of it. I would hope they would tone back the sex and violence, but they probably wouldn't. Um, and at least in season two, we know that he is in a different sleeve. Yeah, it'll be that, a different actor. By the, yeah, by the nature of the show and because of the second book and how they, you know, where it takes place. Yeah, it's going to be a different actor. So hopefully they'll at least rectify that for you in terms of having a different person. Hopefully he's better 
for you and then the then the one is now well it would be cool if they kept going with it because just like doctor who how the doctor always switches yeah like they could legitimately have a different main actor for the main character and have the same character season after season which yeah. could be pretty cool um it would be really awesome if they did that yeah the uh the westworld season two trailer came out like the last one before the season actually kicks off and i'm really psyched for that I don't have a whole lot of thoughts, except I'm excited and I'll probably pay for HBO again for a little bit to watch it. Um, I started Persona 3, the animation, because I didn't really realize that like Persona 3, 4 and 5 all have animations like full. I don't know if they're movies. Technically, they're like really long, like 90 minutes worth of anime, basically. But it follows the story of it. And there are multiple ones. They're not episodes. It's almost like having like a bunch of really long movies that all tie together into the story. So I am probably never going to finish Persona 3. I tried a couple different versions and all of the versions out there that people are like, oh, these are the ones you want to play. um, They're not on convenient platforms for me anymore. And the ones that I can get to easily are the bad versions that I've already bounced off of a couple times. So... I saw people talking about um, the animations because Persona 5 animation is coming out or just came out or something like that. And it reminded me that Persona 3, the animation, existed. So I went back and I started that. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to go through the whole thing, but at least I want some context just because I never played through Persona 3. And I remember seeing Persona 3, but like I don't know anything about it. What was it that made you bounce off of it as much as you liked uh, 4 and 5? Well, it... The the only version that I really had access to was the one that's like the PSP version that you can play on the Vita. And uh, okay. what I didn't realize when I tried to get into it and I failed is that it's actually a demake of the game. Like, oh. it has some of the core stuff, but they stripped out a bunch of story, a bunch of cutscenes. They stripped out all of the actual wandering in the world and having time between, like, um, plot points, which is one of oh. my favorite things about Persona is just being in the world. Uh, they got rid of all that. Like, you don't have a character that walks around. You have menus that you navigate, and you can just jump straight to people. It's really oh. awkward and weird. So, yeah, one of my friends described it as a demake, and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense about why I didn't like that one. Oh, no. I just want to tell you. Okay, so I downloaded Persona 4 today, and um, I was I reinstalled it on my Vita. And it turns out that my save data is gone. I just oh, opened no. it up as you were talking about that. And I was like, oh, I need to make sure that, that installed. So I just opened up my, my Vita right beside me and went to install it. And as it loaded up, my save data is gone. So that's fun. I don't remember how many hours, like 10 hours into it, maybe. And uh, now that's sad. That's sad time. You might be able but, to pull it down off of PSN, maybe. You don't have to play I'll with that try. after. Yeah, yeah, but man, sad times. Yeah. Um, I was also watching The Last Jedi. Like, I, I rewatched The Last Jedi, and at the same time, I'm listening to the audiobook because <laughs> I always do the novelization to get a little bit more context on the story. And I'm almost done. I'm in the last, like, hour of the audiobook. Um, it, it was interesting. So a couple things I wanted to pull out that I already told you some of these, but... Things that, like, I just didn't get from the movie that I think are really worth mentioning that it just didn't do a good job. Like, they weren't key points to the plot, but I thought they were interesting. So, um, when Luke is on the island, he actually shut himself off from the Force completely. And I didn't get that from the movie. Like, I knew he had, like, withdrawn to, like, hide his presence, but... I didn't understand, like, in the book, it makes very clear that, like, he hasn't touched the Force at all. He completely cut himself off from it years ago, which See, is... That's, I got that from the movie. Okay. That was something that I, I, at least the way that they talked about it, that's what I was 
going with. Well, and like that's one of the reasons that like the light is able to come back in such force through Ray because Luke hasn't been in contact with the force at all. And when he reaches out to Leia, that's the first time that he really goes deep into the force. Well, it's I knew that was the first time he really like went deep into the force. I got that from watching the movie. I didn't realize that was the first time he had touched the force in years and years and years. So I got you. That was interesting. Um, you know, Ray, they they kind of touch on it in episode seven, but she's like a forced prodigy. And again, mm-hmm. it kind of makes more sense knowing that Luke had cut himself off and like Snoke and Kylo were like rising with the dark side and the light has to meet it. And they give a lot more context and explanation about like how the light and the dark have to stay balanced, which is why she came kind of out of nowhere with such force. Um, okay. And the other thing is that she picked up a bunch of her force powers and training because when Snoke puts her mind in contact with Kylo's mind, she picks up a lot of his skills and abilities from that. Huh. Okay. And it's just something that's like, how would you show that in a movie? They just didn't, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's not something that even you can explain very well unless unless the conceit of the movie is like the Matrix where you download the stuff into your brain. Like, that's, that's not even something they could talk about well. Yeah. And then uh, Snap Wexley is alive somewhere, which I know you care about. So I told you yeah. about that one. Um, and he's... He's one of the characters that's kind of in The Force Awakens, but really he's an extended universe character that Beige cares about. Um, But he was on a mission during the whole The Last Jedi. He's off somewhere doing something else. So he's not dead. Don't worry, Beige. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I know you're glad. And then the gold dice, which it felt really out of place the first time watching that movie, like they were important. Um, Yeah. Those are the dice that Han Solo used to win the Millennium Falcon. And... I am 100% sure those are going to show up in the solo movie here in about a month. And yep. I am I bet that they put those in because these films were in production at the same time. So they were talking to each other. Like the story teams right. are talking to each other. And they're like, hey, if you include this in The Last Jedi, it'll have a lot more meaning after Solo comes out. So That's true. I, I'm 100% sure those will show up. Otherwise... It just, I don't know, it felt kind of out of place and weird the way that they treated yeah. those in the movie. But now that I know where they came from, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it was something in the movie that I just didn't understand why they kept focusing on them. Because it was something that none of the other movies or books had ever talked about, to my knowledge. They were just kind of, okay, these are important. Now let me give you this holographic version of these dice. It's, it's, I didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah. And even in the book, even in the last Jedi novelization anyway, it's like one sentence throwaway line about how those were the dice that he used to win the millennium Falcon. So Hmm. that must be a big part of the story in solo. I hope so. I would think so at this point. Um, the other thing that I'm like halfway through a book this week and I, I've basically been doing nothing else since I started play, playing this book, reading this book. <laughs> Not audiobook, but actually uh, reading it, though. Yeah, no, I'm so reading you... it. It's the most interesting nonfiction book that I've read in years and years. It's called The Big Picture, The Fight for the Future of Movies, which is a really dumb and non-explainable. It doesn't really explain what the book is. I don't like that title at all. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's by Ben Fritz, who's uh, a journalist that I like, and I follow him. I like his writing about movies, because that's kind of what he's been following for a really long time. And this is his first book, and he talks about how what he wanted to do for a really long time was talk about how movies got to where they are right now. But to do that, you have to have a bunch of concrete examples from recent history, 
And to do that part of it, you have to be embedded at a studio with like all access behind the scenes for like a couple years. So mm. he had this idea for a book and he's like, well, I'm never going to be able to do this. None of the studios are ever going to give me carte blanche to just do whatever for a couple years. Yeah. And then that Sony email leak happened <laughs> a couple years yeah. ago. And he had to report on it, you know, because it was a really big thing for like two months. And then the news cycle happens to everybody and it just kind of falls out of favor. But right. There were tens of thousands of emails sitting there from just years and years of Sony, and no one was really reading through them because there was so much content. So he read through every single email from that leak and used that to basically embed himself in Sony retroactively. And that is where he kind of starts the book is he walks through the last, I don't know, like 10 years of Sony and what was happening when and why. And it is so fascinating. So it, it's he talks a lot about, and again, I'm halfway through the book. I haven't gotten to all the modern stuff that I'm really super interested in, um, but he did kind of like lay out what he's going to talk about right at the beginning of the book. So the part that I'm through anyway, he talks about like the 90s to the early 2000s, and then kind of is starting to touch on modern day, but about how in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of films were star vehicle films where it was just like one actor or actress, and that would be the entire premise of the film, right? Yes. And... There were lots of movies for lots of people. And one of the reasons for that is because DVD sales were so huge that if they made lots of movies that would appeal to everybody in different niches, they would just sell tons of DVDs because the movie studios would sell DVDs at wholesale cost, which is about like $18 a pop. And if you guys don't know, wholesale is usually half of MSRP, which is the suggested retail price. So DVDs technically were supposed to cost, what, $36? Um, But all of us know for years and years at Best Buys and Targets and Walmarts and whatever's of the world, they would just have so many displays of DVDs and it would be like, get five for $3 or Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? They'd be like, Mm -hmm. pick three for 10. Um, So all of the big box stores were selling DVDs at a loss to get people in the door because retail has been struggling for a long time and they still pay wholesale cost to the movie studios. So They are selling a ton of them and they are losing money on it, but the movie studios get the full amount that they're supposed to get for it. So DVDs were just like raking in money. So that was their, their, their plan was to just put out tons and tons of movies, but then technology kept evolving and we got streaming and we got Netflix and suddenly like all of these movies in theaters and DVDs no longer appealed the same way because we can just stay home and like watch a streaming version of a TV show or whatever. Yes. So that started happening and DVDs ate into their profits. But then the other thing that really swung stuff in the last 10 years here is that dramas moved to TVs because of foreign box offices. And I know we've talked oh, a little bit about like yeah. the Chinese box office on the show before and how it's becoming more of a dominant force in Hollywood's mind. Well, it's not just Chinese. It's the South American box office, um, the Asian box office in general, even though that's a very broad net to cast. And then uh, still the Chinese one is the biggest part of it. And they didn't exist 15 years ago. Like those have emerged in the last 10 or 15 years because those markets didn't have a true middle class until 10 or 15 years ago. So what happened was as these middle classes were emerging, and they were just starting to get like our movies basically um, in theaters, you know, and they would go see them for real instead of like pirated copies yeah. third hand or whatever. The only things they were really getting that Hollywood would put the effort into moving over there were these big bombastic um, blockbuster like AAA movies, right? So the entire time that movies have existed locally for them in theaters, all they got were blockbusters. 
And oh, wow. So over time, they see movies at the movie theater. The only thing that's worth it to them is to see a blockbuster movie because that's all they've ever had. And all of these like uh. dramas that are American dramas that are just people like talking heads for two hours, that doesn't appeal to them at all because it never existed in cinema for them. It's not like us with our like 100 years of history at this point in movies. Right. And so they can't sell those, which means that if you're going to make one of those now, you're only going to get the domestic box office. And if you're only getting the domestic box office, it's a horrible business decision. And yeah, you're not making any money on it generally with marketing and branding and any of the other budget costs that you have. Right. So the knock-on effect of all that is that now we get less films, but they're more predictable, right? And they're more big budget, they're more blockbuster, they're tentpole films or they're franchise films that people know what they're getting in for because part of it is those foreign box offices. But then the other part is that like we have so many more choices at home now that if we don't know exactly what we're getting, we're probably not going to pay the money to go to the theater because tickets are expensive, popcorn's expensive, like right. finding a babysitter and scheduling, you know, for like me, that is hard to do. So all of those things mean that the the ticket prices are going up and the amount of people in theaters is going down over time. So it's just this really interesting conglomeration of events basically. And where I left off last night when I stopped reading was really getting into the Marvel movies and how uh, okay. they came up with the first cinematic universe and how they got to that point and then got acquired by, you know, everything they got acquired by. But yeah, it's, it's just super fascinating. Like I didn't, I mean, the movies are always interesting to me, but I didn't realize how much I found that industry interesting until I read this book. And like I said, this is probably the most interested I've been in a nonfiction book in, I don't even know how many years. That, that one sounds really awesome. While you were talking, I went and looked to see if it was on audible because that's the kind of thing I would like to listen to. And it's not there. So I've, uh, I will have to look into like reading that. That sounds, that sounds fantastic in so many ways that it hits on like the same kind of nonfiction that I love as well. I, I would, man, that sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, so if you guys are interested, again, because the the title is so generic, it is The Big Picture, colon, The Fight for the Future of Movies. I I cannot remember. I just looked at it again on the notes because I literally can't remember the name of the book, even though I've been reading it for days now. I, I'll probably have more thoughts next week just because it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. Um, the only other thing I've really been doing this week, which is kind of surprising to me, is that I'm playing Stardew Valley again. Um, <laughs> I'm totally skipping the social part of it because i did that in my first like manic like 30 or 40 hour playthrough i'm just mm -hmm. in it for the systems this time but i'm playing casually which is well you know me i don't really play games casually i'm either like uh -uh. all in the game or i'm done with the game i don't have much of an in-between and stardew valley i've been playing like almost every night this week and i'll just boot it up and play a couple days in game right before bed at night and then i'll put it down it's strange for me to be like casually playing a game which is why i wanted to bring it up because i that, i don't do this and i don't and i don't understand going back to that one in particular because i, I can't i that one's hard for me to actually see the appeal in. a lot of them i see the appeal this one feels very monotonous to me well i mean th maybe that's part of the appeal is that it's casual like there's nothing you have to do in a given day you know there's no like driving right. goal you have to get to i just like do a couple days of farming and like maybe fishing and maybe go into the cave and then i'm like okay cool and then i'm done for the night <laughs> and i go to bed okay. um and yeah i don't know it's it's relaxing it's strangely relaxing it's also still a really good podcast game so i'll kind of like throw in a gotcha. podcast in one 
headphone and uh, listen to this with the other ear. And yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, I can I can see that. I've actually downloaded. I'm going to get back into I'm trying to get back into JRPGs and I've been wanting to play one lately, but I don't really want to spend a lot of uh, of hardcore time sitting and doing it. So I've downloaded Final Fantasy four again on my phone to be able to see how the Android port has done. So we'll see. Okay. Cool. Well, that's probably it for this week. Uh, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. The email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And if you want to talk to us, uh, just chat with us. We're on Slack, too. Go to slack.geek2geekcast.com for an invite. And remember, we're also part of a podcast network like we talked about earlier. So head over to geek2geekcast.com to see all of our shows. I blog at agreenmushroom.com. And you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's. And I'm online at runningshoes.tv. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeks. Don't die in a Comics. Hey everyone, Rob here, your friendly neighborhood comic geek, inviting you to join me and my rotating cast of co-hosts each week on The Comic Box, where we tell you everything you need to know to become a world-class comic book geek. So join us for The Comic Box, each week, right here on the geek to geek Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice and download our podcast today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek.